Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. The second reading is from Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who was talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up the three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning again. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate that. (laughs) Appreciate that. Uh, My name is Dan Cook, and I'm one of the pastors here at Genesis, uh, and it is a privilege, as always, uh, to be part of worshiping with you all. Those of you, thank you to those of you who are here within the chapel with us, and to those of you watching online, thank you for being a part of the service as well. We, We value your presence every bit as much, and so thank you for that. Today is the last day of Epiphany, the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Wednesday, of course, is Ash Wednesday, and that leads us into the season of Lent, the season where we take our own journey into the wilderness as we prepare for the Easter season that is to come. But we have one final Sunday of focusing on Jesus' life, on Jesus' ministry, on Jesus' teaching. And the final Sunday of Epiphany is always celebrated as Transfiguration Sunday. It's the story we celebrate, the story of the Transfiguration. And this is now, I was counting the other day, I think this is the fourth or fifth time in my relatively short preaching career that I've preached on Transfiguration Sunday. So I've got this thing down. But it is, the story of the Transfiguration, I believe, as I go through studying it, is the heart of Epiphany. If you truly want to sum up what the season of Epiphany is all about, you find it in this story of the Transfiguration, where the divine meets the human in a way that it finally starts to make just a little bit of sense. It is a mystery, and it will always remain a mystery, and yet the heart of it, the soul of it, I think is in this story, and it makes a fair bit of sense when you go through it. But it hasn't always felt that way, at least for me. I don't know about the rest of you. But for me, when I see this transfiguration story and it fills me with hope now, that isn't how it always was. We're going to start there this morning with our first all play. For those of you who are relatively new to Genesis, We like to do all plays. We like to involve you all and not just have the voice of the soloist, but we want to hear the voice of the chorus as well. So the first question is a simple enough question, but the answer is going to feel really, really complicated. So I'll go first and answer it just to kind of give you an idea of where I'm trying to go here. But the question is this. Think back to a time where it felt really difficult to follow and to listen to Jesus. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I don't know, I've never really felt anything like that. That's fine. If it doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. 
but I promise you there is someone sitting near you who that very much resonates with. And it resonates with me. When I ask, what did that feel like? What was that like for you? What was your story in that time and in that place? You dial the clock back 13, 14 years, I wasn't even a Christian, says the guy up here preaching. Heresy. Right? But it's the truth. 13, 14 years ago, the idea of listening to Jesus and following Jesus was a complete anathema to me. I grew up in the Catholic Church, which I have great respect for. This isn't a knock on Catholics. But I grew up in the Catholic Church, and in my experience growing up in the Catholic Church was all the questions that I had about following and listening to Jesus, I was told were something, not an insult to God, but don't ask so many questions. That's what I kept hearing back. And I wasn't pleased with that answer at all, and I left. And I got older, and I got smarter, though not necessarily wiser, and that's a problem, because I got a little arrogant about it. And I saw Christianity being infused with conservative politics, and I wanted no part of it. I thought that's what it meant to follow Jesus, and I wanted no part of that whatsoever. That was me 13 years ago. I didn't want to listen to it. Forget about following Jesus. I didn't want to listen to him. And yet here I am today preaching a sermon. So what about all of you? Who's going to be brave this morning? When was the time in your life that was difficult to follow or to listen to Jesus? And what was that struggle like for you? That's our first all play this morning. Yes, Rexanne. Sure. For those of you at home, Roxanne says that her difficulty came when she started to go through a process of deconstruction and started asking a bunch of questions, and that meant she had to ask questions of Jesus too. Ooh. But yeah, I think that's a lot of people's experience. Anyone else want to be brave? Hillary. Yep. Hillary said when she became a mom for the first time that her priorities and her focus shifted to being a mom and to taking care of that kid, and Jesus became a very secondary thing. Yeah. Anyone else? Cam? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Cam talked about uh, anybody with a BIPOC identity in 2020 had to make a choice, it felt like. Forgive me if I'm paraphrasing wrong, Cam, but it, I'm guessing that it was okay to have that BIPOC identity prior to 2020 because we didn't talk about it. As long as you didn't talk about it, it was fine. Now, all of a sudden, you were forced to in 2020. You know, I mean, there was no choice but to talk about it. And then it became an issue. Now you had to choose between, you know, you're going to be a Christian identity or you're going to have a BIPOC identity because you weren't allowed to have both. Do you notice the pattern here? It's not Jesus that's the problem. It's all, this, <laughs> all, the stuff, all the stuff that gets between us and Jesus becomes the problem, right? That's the thing. So when we look at the transfiguration story, what I want to suggest, can we for a moment take all of that stuff and just set it aside for a second? Not ignore it, not ignore it, it's there, but can we hear the story of the transfiguration? Can we hear this story afresh, anew, with innocent, open minds, almost a childlike view of it? I'm going to tell you the story of the transfiguration. The text is great, and I'm not knocking the text at all but I'm not going to read you the text. I'm going to tell you the story and see if you can't hear it that way this time. And we'll talk about at the end of it what that brings up for all of us, okay? So the story starts with the words six days later. Six days after what would be a fair question. Imagine for a moment you find a teacher. You find this teacher, you meet him, you listen to what he has to say, and you start following him around a little bit. 
and you see the things that he does, and you hear the ways that he interacts with people, and you see how people are drawn to him, and you feel yourself drawn to him, and you find yourself following this teacher around. And then one day, you're sitting around with kind of the core group, because you know, you're in the in crowd. You're sitting around with this core group, and the teacher asks you to tell him what you think or who you think he is. That's a strange question. Why would he ask that? Why would he ask you to tell him who he is? Is he looking for his name to be repeated or what's going on? And while you're processing that thought, your lovable kind of meatheadish friend pipes up loudly, you're the Messiah. The Messiah. I mean, it's not that that thought hasn't occurred to you somewhere in the back of your head, but to just declare it out loud... I don't know about that. And the teacher doesn't tell him he's wrong. So what does that mean? What does that mean? And then, in what can only be described as kind of a cruel twist, your teacher tells you that he's going to have to die, which makes no sense whatsoever if he's actually the Messiah, because the Messiah is supposed to lead us in glorious battle and defeat our enemies and put the right people back on top of the power structure, that's what the... What does he mean he's going to die and then rise again? I mean, you've heard all the stories about at the end of time, God was going to raise everybody up, but that's a collective thing. That's not an individual... Individual people don't rise again. What are he talking about? That would throw anybody for a loop. This guy that you had seemingly this endless supply of compassion and love and trust and forgiveness for all your faults, even the faults you don't necessarily tell other people about, somehow he knows... And he still has compassion and forgiveness for you. That guy now has to die? That doesn't make any sense. So for the next six days, you spend all your time trying to wrap your head around, can I still follow this guy? Because these two things, this one thing seems so beautiful and so great, but then this other thing is there, and I don't know what to do with that. And then, on that sixth day, He grabs you and a couple of other people and says, come on, guys, we're going hiking up the mountain. The mountains. You've held mountains in reverence and awe your whole life because the mountain is where the heavens come down to touch the earth. The mountains is where God met Moses. The mountain is where God told Moses to go and save Israel from the Egyptians. The the mountain is where God told Moses, here's the law, here's the Ten Commandments. The mountain is where God met Elijah, the prophet of all prophets. Mountain is where God met Elijah, not in an earthquake and not in a fire and not in a loud wind, but in the whisper of silence. The mountains are where the heavens touch the earth. And now your teacher, who you're starting to wonder if he might not be the Messiah, is taking you hiking up the mountain. Exciting. And so you hike up the mountain and you get to this kind of flat area and then your teacher wanders off away from you and you're wondering, am I supposed to follow him there? Are we staying here? Did he say something to anybody else? What are we doing? And you no more get that thought through your head and bang, there's a blinding, bright, dazzling light. And you're blinking and trying to get the spots out of your eyes and wondering what in the world is going on. And when, you, when your vision finally clears, you look and oh my God, goodness, there's Moses and Elijah with your teacher. 
And they're all bathed in this dazzling light. The law, the prophets, all there with your teacher. And you don't know how you know that that's Moses and Elijah because nobody had a picture of Moses and Elijah. (laughs) But you know that's Moses and that's Elijah and that's your teacher. And what in the world is happening right now? Is this real? This actually happened? Are you guys seeing this? Am I the only one seeing it? What is, what's going on? And as you're trying to wrap your brain around it, you're feeling gobsmacked. You're feeling at a loss for words. And unfortunately, your lovable, somewhat meatheadish friend is not at a loss for words. And he pipes up and says, hey, we got to build three tabernacles here. That word tent is the same word that they used for the tabernacle that followed around the Israelites as they wandered in the desert, and that's where they stored the Ark of the Covenant. He's suggesting we build a tabernacle for Moses, a tabernacle for Elijah, and a tabernacle for our teacher. Never mind the fact that we don't have any building supplies with us up here on the mountain. And oh, by the way, he's a fisherman, not a carpenter, so what does he know about building anything? What are we doing? But you can no more than get that thought in your head and start to pipe up and say, hey, Skippy, calm it down a notch. When you start to realize he's just as awestruck as you are, and that's just how he's responding. You see that phrase, fear of the Lord, a lot in the Old Testament. That doesn't mean like terrified, scared. It means awestruck fear. It means that realization of God's power and your finiteness in a singular moment. That kind of awe, that's the fear of the Lord. And that's what's striking both of you, all of you right now. And that's just how he's dealing with it. So you decide not to say anything. And as you make that decision, a cloud comes over the whole area and puts everybody into a shadow. There's still this bright, dazzling light framing Moses and Elijah and your teacher, but there's all, now it's all shadowed as well. And you hear this booming, loud voice say, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And again, you don't know how you know, but in the depth of your soul, you know that voice is the Lord. That voice is Yahweh. That voice is God. And suddenly you flash back to your teacher telling you that he has to die, that the glorious future he's taught you about over and over and over again can only happen after he's died and risen again. Is that what I have to listen to? Because that didn't make a lick of sense when he said it. But is that what, I, is that what, he's, that what God is, God's telling me I got to listen? And as you're processing that thought, you suddenly realize the cloud is gone, that dazzling light is gone, Moses and Elijah are gone, and the only person that's left standing in front of you is your teacher. And he's got a smile on his face. And you don't really understand why, but there's this wave of comfort that washes over you as you see your teacher smiling at you. And he comes up, and without words, he puts his arm around your shoulder. And you, again, know somehow this is going to be all right. And so you start walking back down the mountain, and your teacher tells you at that point, hey, by the way, for now, don't tell anybody about this. That this experience that you just had, that just blew the minds of everybody you're standing there with, that you're desperate to talk to somebody about and process, he says, don't tell anybody about it. There will come a time to share that story, but that time is after he's died and risen again. And somehow now, in that time, in that place, after that experience, this idea that he has to die and rise again 
isn't as confusing, isn't as fear-inducing. You're still not sure it makes a lot of sense, but somehow it's going to be okay. In that time, in that place, after that experience, it starts to make a little bit of sense. That's the story of the transfiguration. Think about your teacher there. Wouldn't, have a teach, wouldn't having a teacher like that be incredible? Somebody who could, put you, who could take something that crazy and nonsensical and in this dazzling moment show you something that helped make it make sense. That when he says he's human and divine and we can't understand how those two things can exist at the same time, somehow in that moment and in that place, it makes sense. That's a teacher worth listening to. That's a teacher worth following. Yeah? So I'll play number two. We just talked about what it felt like when we struggled to listen to Jesus. And maybe plenty of you are still struggling to listen and follow to Jesus. But I wonder what it feels like now. If there's a difference now, what's the difference between how it used to feel and how it feels now? And again, I'll go first. The reason that I can stand up here in front of you today and confidently say that Jesus is worth listening to is because I finally got around to reading the Gospel of John with an open mind and a clear heart. I finally got around to reading the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew with an open mind and a clear heart. And it broke my heart into a million pieces. And it told me it was going to be okay. And that was a teacher I wanted to follow. That was a teacher I wanted to listen to. And that was a teacher, when I discovered him, I wanted to tell everybody else about. So what about you? What's it like for you listening to Jesus, following Jesus now? Who wants to be brave and share? Yeah. For those of you at home, Will talked about there being a time in his life where he wanted the God that was powerful. He wanted the God that would smite his enemies. He needed that sense of power. And now he finds himself most connecting with the softness and the compassion and the love and the heart of Jesus. Only he said it much more eloquently than that. <laughs> Who else would like to share? It's a vulnerable one, I admit. John. I realized as I, as I sorted through what I really believed about God and what I believed God was like, more and more it became apparent to me that Jesus was like the God I was going to worship. Yes, amen. John just blew our minds. Uh, he talked about that he used to uh, be taught and believe that all visions of God or all versions of God that you would see in the Bible were all equally valid and that any, any notion of picking and choosing which ones resonated best with, best with you was a problem. And he got to a point where he decided, no, that's not a problem. That Jesus, the, the idea of Jesus on the cross, the Jesus that loved his enemies, that was the God that he grabbed onto. And I would add... This is not John's words, these are mine. That suddenly you find yourself having to look at all of those other visions of God and say, well, wait a minute, if, this is, if the vision of God on the cross is the true vision of God, how do all of those make sense in light of that? And that's a long journey, and that's a lot of work. Thank you, John. I hope you don't mind me adding on to that. Anyone else want to share? Enoch. I think uh, for a long time growing up, 
I would view this as this thing I needed to do something for. Mm. Um, and more and more as I as I grow, it's I'm seeing Jesus more as a So there's a shift that Enoch's talking about from G- viewing Jesus as somebody he needed to do something for to doing to Jesus being somebody he wanted to emulate or follow or be like. And that's not an insignificant shift to make. I said earlier that Transfiguration Sunday was the heart of Epiphany. And I do believe that. If we want to know what Jesus is like, if we want to know what his ministry is like, listen to that story, and I think you find out all you need to know. Not that there isn't plenty more to study. But specifically, I think the heart of the Transfiguration story, so the heart of the heart, we find in verse 7. When God is speaking, And he says three words that I think are the most important words in the entire story. Listen to him. Because wherever you're at on your journey, whatever obstacles you've run into, whatever twists and turns your path has taken, that goal is still worthy. Listen to him. You don't have to listen to the people who tell you how this has to work. You don't have to listen to institutions or to power structures or to media caricatures. Heck, you don't even have to listen to me. Listen to him, right? (laughs) Listen to him. Go back. Read his words. Assess Jesus' character for yourself. Have conversations with fellow believers, with community members. Ask questions. Have discussions. Maybe even pray the prayer that says, what the... I can't say the word because the kids are about to come in. And my mother's here. Yeah, I know my mother. <laughs> when you read the Psalms, when you read the Psalms, at least half of them are, God, what is going on? Pray that prayer yourself. And then listen. Listen to what God has to say to you. If you take nothing else from the season of Epiphany, listen to Him. Because I promise you, I promise you, Jesus is worth it. He is worth the pain and the trouble of sifting through the piles of garbage that have been heaped upon him by people who will try to tell you that their way of following him is the only valid way of following him. It's worth sifting through all that. All the nonsense, all the garbage that has been done in his name, it is worth working your way through all of that. And just listen to him. And wherever that takes you, whether it's here as part of this community, whether it's at another church, or whether it's not even as a church at all, listen to him. Because I promise you, the end of that road, the end of that journey, is worth it. And that's the heart of the epiphany. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org. Thank you.